If you enjoy listening to Voices in Cloud, check out David Linthicum's reports on gigaohm.com. They're about data complexity and cloud solutions, addressing many of the topics covered in this podcast series. Hey guys, welcome to the GigaOM Voices in Cloud podcast. This is the one place where you will hear from industry thought leaders providing no-nonsense advice on how to succeed with cloud computing, IoT, edge computing, and cognitive computing. I'm Dave Linthicum, best-selling author, speaker, executive, and B-list geek. And this week, my special guest is Tim Crawford, and he's ranked number one, top 100 most influential chief information technology officers. Uh, he's at number four, top, uh, top 100 most social CIOs, top 20 uh, people most retweeted uh, by IT leaders, and top 100 cloud experts and influencers. Wow, that's a that's a, a a lot of cred there, Tim. So catch us up. Tell us what you're doing now and uh, what you've been doing for the last few years. Yeah, who is that guy? I want to meet him. <laughs> um, you know, I'm still uh, of that CIO mindset. You know, spending a lot of time working with other CIOs, uh, bringing that CIO perspective to the conversation. I'm still in learning mode. Uh, I think I'll be learning until the day that I stop breathing. Um, but uh, really trying to learn a lot about a lot of different things and helping folks uh, grow their business, helping folks leverage technology in meaningful ways and share my own experiences and help people grow individually as well as organizationally. So what do you typically do day to day? Day-to-day is mostly conversations, uh, and most of those conversations are with other IT professionals. So it could be other CIOs. Uh, typically, it's CIOs, and sometimes they're lieutenants. But talking about where emerging technology is going, trying to solve some core issues within their own organization, um, and then sharing some of the things that have worked for me and things that frankly haven't worked. Because let's face it, IT is hard and complicated and not everything works. And it's important that, uh, that we share that balance as part of the conversation. So that's interesting. So tell me two things that worked and two things that didn't work in your career. You know, something that worked was um, taking a chance. Um, I took a chance and joined an organization not because of who the organization was, but because of the leader. Um, I felt like at the time of my career, I was kind of stuck mentally. And I really wanted to think differently. I really wanted someone to push me to think differently. And I joined an organization on a chance um, because of who I'd be working for. And frankly, I ended up just learning a phenomenal amount from that leader. Um, And, you know, the same thing goes for technology. I've taken chances on technology in ways that, you know, I didn't think it would work, but it ended up working pretty darn well. On the other hand, um, there have been some some screw-ups in my career too, and I'm not uh, ashamed of those either. And I think the the thing that you have to really think about is when you do get knocked down, and this is something that that early in my career someone had shared with me and and I had to think long and hard about it. I had been a little aggressive uh, in the approach that I had taken with uh, one of the teams outside of my organization. And this was early, early in my career. And I got knocked down for that. 
got knocked down pretty hard for it. And, uh, you know, one of my colleagues reached out to me and said, hey, you know, you've got to decide, are you going to get up, dust yourself off, learn from it and move on? Or are you just going to stay down? Kind of like a boxing analogy. And I ended up uh, thinking long and hard about that because it was a pretty hard hit. And I got up, dusted myself off, learned from it, and frankly, did really, really well, um, especially with that group that had knocked me down uh, sometime earlier. So it's all about what you learn and what you take from it and how you leverage that moving forward. Yeah, I, I failed with uh, six zeros on the end, you know, in my career a few times and uh, also succeeded with uh, seven zeros on the end a few times. And you have to kind of take the good with the bad and your ability to kind of adapt, move on and learn from your mistakes is really kind of the best career skill that you have. I think the worst people out there are people who don't understand what they did wrong, how they affected other people, how other people affected them as a reaction to how they affected them. And ultimately, they're, you know, they just don't have great careers, and they're not necessarily appreciated in their field. So, you know, back in, you know, back in my 20s, I always talk about Evil Dave and Nice Dave. I mean, I was Evil Dave back in my 20s. I was writing a book a year, and no one was smarter than me. And, you know, I was CTO and, you know, a partner in a consulting company, you know, early on. And, you know, I just had all this momentum behind it, but I was treating people not necessarily the way they should be treated. And... Mm-hmm. You learn about that in your 30s and 40s. And I think, like I said, I've been humbled um, a few times. But you need to understand this is a people business at the end of the day. We do deal with technology. Certainly, you and I are smart, but there's lots of people out there who are smart who can contribute to you know making this stuff work. And in fact, it would probably be our job to make more smart people and more people are capable of you know being successful in this space. So it's funny how you learn through the through your career and you end up uh, you know, at this stage, I mean, I'm probably a little older than you, you know, kind of understanding how it all works, but it takes a few mm-hmm. years to figure it out, doesn't it? It does. And I think to your point, you know, the example that I shared, that was also in my 20s. And it was during a period of time where I was leading an organization. And, you know, some might say maybe I was a little ahead of my time and over my skis or whatever favorite analogy you have. Maybe I was, uh, you know, punching above my weight, going back to the boxing analogy. But those were those were really good experiences. At the time, I didn't think they were. Um, but I couldn't see how important those experiences were. And you're right. I think when you get into your 30s and when you get into your 40s, you, you really start to be able to look back and have really good perspective on, wow, I, I learned a lot from that experience and didn't even realize it. Yeah, hopefully we'll continue to learn too going forward. Well, this is a cloud podcast, so let's get to some cloud topics. And uh, one of the first things I'd like to ask you is, you know, what is the current state of the cloud in the enterprise here that we're now into 2020 and we're in essence kind of 10 years into this cloud computing stuff? Well, and I think you have to look at, are we 10 years in or are we 20 years in? You know, depending on what aspect of cloud you're looking at, if you're using Salesforce as the barometer, then you're probably closer to 20 years in. If you're using uh, public cloud, then you're probably closer to 10 years in. But irrespective, I still think we are in the significant early days of cloud with regards to enterprise. You know, web scale and startup have been using this um, for a number of years holistically. But from an enterprise perspective, beyond SaaS, 
and getting into infrastructure as a service and how we use other services, platform services, we are still in just the infancy of how enterprises use cloud. And we're still trying to figure out how best to use it more than just kicking the tires or having some skunk works or experiment uh, off to the side. So lots of opportunity to come. Yeah, and I think we're, it is kind of a slow roll. I mean, if you look at the enterprise penetration of cloud, depending on the, the analyst firm you listen to, some people say it's 30%, you know, some people say it's 10%. You know, in my experience with my clients, it's about 20%, inclusive of SaaS, which is, you know, typically in many instances, 10 to 15% of that. And so we're in early days of platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, you know, even though a lot of high-end systems and those guys are moving up the stack, but enterprises can't move, I think, as fast as technology can move. And I think the technologists are really kind of finding that out. So why I can do, uh, you know, 2000 lift and shift based applications into the cloud, ultimately, you know, that may not be indicated for the particular, you know, application requirements. There needs to be some refactoring and some turning things into cloud native capabilities. And when you do this right, and you do the right amount of planning, minimizing the complexity, you know, dealing with operational issues, dealing with governance issues, dealing with security issues, and also dealing with the requirements that each of the workload has. It's going to be a long journey uh, before we get to, say, the saturation point of 70, 80%, where it just there's the applications that are on-premise are inviable to move economically. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think you're spot on, David. Um, there are a lot of hurdles that enterprises have to get over. And Let's back up for a second. One of the things that you have to understand about enterprise and those of us that have worked in enterprise for any period of time, you don't have to be like me that spent you know, the first 20, 25 years of my career working directly leading an IT organization. Um, any sort of understanding of enterprise quickly points to the fact that enterprise IT is complicated. It's really, really, really complicated. Now, we can argue till the cows come home as to whether it should be or shouldn't be, but it really doesn't matter, right? It is complicated. What we have to figure out is how do we navigate through that complication and leverage cloud in a meaningful way, in an appropriate way that starts to simplify some of that complication in the process. And when you start to do that, amazing things start to happen, but that's easier said than done. And so it's important to understand, like you said, cybersecurity changes our, our process. I mean, even some of the, the fundamental processes that we do around backup and recovery or disaster recovery, those processes change. Cybersecurity models change because it's not just altruistic of you're going from your corporate data center to cloud. You're more than likely going to be spread across these different paradigms. And so now things just got exponentially more complicated. And when you start to bring in edge into the mix and private cloud into the mix, and then you have your public cloud, oh, and then add SaaS into that too, you start to see very quickly how what was pretty simple when everything was in a corporate data center has now gotten incredibly more complicated than where we started. And so it's important to understand that and start to tease apart those pieces. And then you can start to realize what the solution should look like. 
Yeah, that's great advice. And speaking of edge computing, I was just at uh, CES 2020 last week speaking there on edge computing and IoT-based systems. And we have a tendency to look at edge computing and cloud really as kind of very, uh, uh, I guess, uh, counter to each other. <laughs> one replaces one. But uh, I don't think that's the case. What, what does edge change for the cloud conversation going forward? Yeah, I too was at CES 2020, and um, what an amazing! No, unfortunately, I show just. I mean, <laughs> it was only you know a couple thousand. Oh, hundred and sixty thousand people there, and spread from one end of the Las Vegas Strip to the other. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous! It's too big to even get get your arms around. It is. You know, Edge brings brings an interesting aspect to the cloud conversation. Um, you know, Edge opens up the different data flows that we otherwise might not have access to. So I think when you think of it from a data perspective, you start to realize that, oh my gosh, what we thought we were dealing with in terms of data has just exponentially grown as well. And then go back to what I was saying earlier about how things have gotten more complicated. Well, that complication comes in in the forms of managing all of these devices. So now we have to change our methodology of how we manage devices at the edge. We have to think about how we secure these devices at the edge. And when I say devices, it could be anything from a mechanical device, a robot, to a wearable, um, and everything in between, and, and probably even... Smaller things like monitoring devices could be a sensor. Um, so there are lots of different ways that edge creeps into the conversation. But then you have to think about this, this challenge of, and, and when I talk to clients and talk to other enterprises, one of the challenges they have with regards to edge and cloud is latency. Probably the single biggest challenge has to do with latency. So you've got these new applications that are being enabled by edge and you want to be able to leverage cloud because you can't you can't manage it manually. You can't manage it through your traditional means. So you want to bring cloud into the conversation. The challenge is there's a reality around speed of light, and you know physics always gets in the way of technology. I say, um, and so speed of light becomes a problem when you think about edge to cloud. And so now you have to add another layer of complexity and understanding how edge devices connect to intermediate systems and intermediate applications, but still are able to take advantage of cloud to be able to process all of that, that mass of data and the analytics and the AI and machine learning that comes into play uh, to really kind of garner insights from uh, the data and from the edge. So there's a lot that is at work here. And when I go to places like CES, like we were both at, um, and look at the amount of technology that is being deployed at the edge, whether it's baby tech or health tech or just personal home tech um, in the consumer space, but then you look at that in the enterprise space too, building systems, and it goes on and on. And you start to realize, oh my gosh, I got to get my arms around this and in a meaningful way, and I'm going to need help to do it. Yeah, and I think one of the things we're missing is really kind of an architectural discipline around how we're deploying edge and cloud. And so typically edge computing itself is not going to be effective unless there's some sort of a centralized storage of information or cognitive sharing, you know, things like that, AI-based systems, knowledge-based sharing, thing, and, you know, those sorts of patterns that are emerging. And 
we're not thinking about that. And so when I deal with edge-based systems, I'm finding out that they're typically misarchitected because they do have latency issues because they're putting data that really should be in the edge and the cloud and data that should be in the cloud at the edge. And ultimately we have to figure out, you know, how to balance these environments. And I think even the cloud providers aren't necessarily um, providing the best practices and kind of the core services that they need to make edge computing and cloud computing successful. I think they will at some point, they're getting better at it, but in essence, what they're doing now is just making replicants in the cloud. And so if you have an IOT device or an edge-based computing device, you in essence have a copy of it that exists in the public cloud and that becomes kind of the configuration management model for all the edge devices, considering you may have, you know, 200 cloud instances to, you know, 10,000 edge instances. And so it is getting into architectural complexity, you know, probably that we haven't seen before, um, mm -hmm. ultimately as we're binding things in the cloud. Because in the past we were, you know, doing hosted computing and then we went to distributed computing and leveraging client server and PCs. And, you know, now we're dealing with these very complex separations of data and set, set of processes between a, you know, device that costs $30 and between a server that costs $3,000. So how mm -hmm. should we think about this? You're right, though. The, the architecture is challenging. And this is something that is new for not just the enterprise, but for the sell side, the vendor community, too. And, you know, to your point, who's going to help all of these folks kind of see the light of how do we traverse that path of managing all of those different disparate devices and data flows that are coming to us from the edge and leverage them in a meaningful way? I mean, management is just one aspect of this, right? Data flows is another aspect of it. And then understanding what are the right edge devices to bring into the mix. And more importantly, why are we even having this conversation about edge in the first place? Meaning, what are the business outcomes that were really driving us to think about the edge and how we leverage the edge? And so when you start to think about not just architecture, but you think about the types of devices and who's, who's interacting with those devices and how do you start to manage that data and you can't use your traditional means, your traditional architectures to do so. They immediately collapse and break under just the sheer weight of scale and whether that's data or number of devices. And so we do need to start infusing not just artificial intelligence or machine learning, depending on what it is you're trying to do, but a level of automation into the mix and so that's something else that is relatively new. You know, we could go out and, in the past, be able to maybe consolidate some of this scale in a way that a human could actually interact and take care of it. But when you get to some of the models that I'm starting to see deployed, there's no way that a human can be involved in it. It absolutely has to rely on a combination of automation machine learning, and artificial intelligence, all three. Agree very much with that. So ultimately from the CIO's you know, point of view and, and kind of looking at the cloud landscape right now, um, who in essence is winning within the enterprise? You know, who's getting traction and, and who do you see constantly and who do you think is gonna emerge over, over the years? Kind of put your, um, your, your fortune telling hat on and, uh, and, and tell us what you think is gonna happen in 2020, 2021. Well, when you break down cloud into the different providers, I think you have to look at different strata of cloud 
kind of adding in a weather weather term into that. Um, my feeble attempt at, attempt at humor. I can't even get that out straight. But um, <laughs> when you look at the different providers, I think you know it's pretty clear Amazon has has jumped ahead of the rest of the pack. And the web scale and startup companies have a lot to do with that. You know, that's driven by those web scale and startup companies. Um, you know, Azure has made a significant uh, uptick, and especially in the enterprise space. And that's probably not too surprising for those of us that have worked in enterprise because Microsoft has a really good understanding of how the enterprise works. I mean, they have those relationships. They're probably... Uh, they probably have every single enterprise on the planet as a customer, and that's not uh, being conservative. It, it probably is every single enterprise on the planet, probably through their productivity apps. So they already have those relationships. They understand how enterprise works. But let's not exclude Google from the conversation too, and I don't mean just the Google Apps components, but rather the Google Compute, you know, the Google Cloud components. When you dig into that technology, it's pretty impressive with what they've been able to do. And I think some of the changes in leadership and some of the changes in the way they've started to approach enterprises, um, I definitely wouldn't count them out. Now, that's within the U.S. When you go beyond the bounds of the U.S. and you start to look at the international contingent, you have to bring another provider into the conversation, and that's Alibaba. And Alibaba has been making some significant inroads into a number of companies that, that I've been working with uh, internationally. So you look at those four, and I think those are the four that, that you kind of keep tabs on, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, uh, Alibaba. But there are also a long tail of other providers in the public cloud space alone that have more specialized offerings and you can't exclude them too. They may not be uh, one of the biggest ones that gets talked about broadly, but they exist and they exist for a reason. Now, when you shift gears from infrastructure as a service and you start talking about platforms and you get into software as a service, then it goes in all different directions. And there are a vast number of providers. I mean, typically there's a number one and number two in each category, whether you're talking about CRM or HCM or identity management or God only knows what you might need to plug in tomorrow. Um, and so there are a lot more players and a lot more diversity when you get to that software as a service tier. So I think that's great advice. Um, so where can we find you on the web and you know, where do you blog or do you blog and and how can our uh, listeners kind of follow you and uh, follow your content? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there are a number of ways that I kind of share my thoughts. Um, I have my own podcast called The CIO in the Know, um, which is available on all the major platforms. And then I also blog at avoa.com. And uh, you can catch me on Twitter at T Crawford. Make sure to look up Tim. He's done some great work, um, good body of work and a good career. Anyway, please pick up a copy of my book, Cloud Computing and SOA Convergence, available on Amazon and other places books are sold. Also, make sure to follow me on Twitter at, at David Linthicum, L-I-N-T-H-I-C-U-M, as well as LinkedIn, where I have several cloud computing courses on LinkedIn learning, including cloud complexity management. Check that out. So until next time, best of luck in building a cloud computing solutions. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Cloud, please check out the other ones. 
Removing hybrid and multi-cloud complexity is the focus of a report that David wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about taking IT to the next level, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.